This is the Gimme 5 Podcast Special Edition on Megacon 2008 in Orlando, Florida. This is our Mega Conversation. That was stupid. That was great. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> uh. I used to be the one. I used to be a getaway dreamer. I couldn't get enough. Thinking that we would last forever. Well, guys. This is the week that Megacon happened, and Rob and I went, and we figured we'd have a little bit of a conversation about it. Uh, it was a busy four days because of Memorial Day weekend. Now, this was the uh, first time they did it four days? No, 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 no. They did it four days last year as well. Um, I think okay, they so. started doing it four days. I think they started doing it two years ago. They started doing it on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two years ago. Okay. Last year was the second year, I think. I could be wrong on that, though. And I, I actually like the four-day thing, but I'm sure we'll get into that because there's a lot to see. And it gets really busy, so sp- spreading it out over four days allows me to kind of get in there, see some of the th- stuff I want to, and then maybe have an extra day to go back. Yeah, absolutely. And and having it be four days, that that gives me a greater opportunity because I'm one of those people who likes to go to the convention and I dress up. I make my own costumes. Um, I, I get pieces here and there, but I, I like to put my costumes together. Um, so I go in costume, but I only go in costume three days because so, I need that fourth day to wander around and do all my shopping and everything. So Greg actually was able to go on Thursday. And so I made that one. I made that my out of costume day. It's a okay. shorter day. So we didn't really get to see everything. But because yeah, so, you're going to hear me bitch about him being in costume later <laughs> on. <laughs> so. Greg, Greg becomes yeah. my character attendant, basically. Yes, that that's one term for it. The other one I wear, the other word I use, um, yeah, I become your bitch. I yeah, think is that the, too. That too. Yeah. So anyway, um, real quick. First of all, we usually do a spoiler alert. There's no need for this. We're not spoiling anything here. We're just going to talk about what we saw, just some cool things that that were there, some people we met, things like that. We're going to have a few interviews with uh, some artists and creators. Got some good interviews. Good interviews. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, we got to meet lots of interesting people, and uh, hopefully some of you guys are out there listening, because I was totally uh, pimping my Give Me Five podcast shirt, which you could get at Threadless. Threadless.com. Yeah, you Look can do for, that. Wait, do they have to do a backslash? I think they have to do a backslash, don't they? Or do they just search for Give Me Five? I think it's Give Me Five podcast slash, th- I don't know. We don't, I, like I say, we're, we're doing this off the cuff. <laughs> We're so professional. We are. We're very professional. But if you look up the Give Me Five podcast uh on Threadless, you can find us. I actually got quite a few compliments on the shirt. Nice. And people uh, actually approached me and asked me for my card and stuff like that. So made me made me kind of happy. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. So Megacon, if you guys don't know, or it is a start off as a giant comic book show. And, you know, Rob, you actually probably don't know this, but um, the first time I ever went to Megacon was actually the first time that I ever went on a long distance drive Ooh. For myself. So when I was 16 years old, I decided to go to Megacon from South Florida, where we're from. And not only was it my first long distance drive, it was also the first time I realized that Benadryl makes you tired. <laughs> so as I was driving back from You're Megacon, lucky you made it. As I was driving back from Megacon, I was watching the lines in the road and I was thinking, that's weird. I never remembered the lines in the road crisscrossing. And I was like, oh God, we need to stop. <laughs> Whoops. So, yeah, so. It has grown immensely, obviously, the four days, but also just in amount of space and amount of people that are there. It used to be major, 
major comic show. Now it's yeah. comics, celebrities, comics, celebrities, fantasy, uh, gaming, uh, sci-fi, anime. anime. You know, pretty much every. It's pretty much like a comic con, like like uh, I guess like San Diego, just probably not as big. Oh, definitely yeah. well, not definitely as big not. as San, yeah, definitely not as big as San Diego. Wrestling. There was a lot of wrestling this year, which is kind of cool. Yeah, but it, but I believe it is Orlando's largest comic convention, is it not? Oh, it's, I think it's Florida's largest comic convention, from what I've heard. I know it's bigger than Tampa and it's bigger than Miami. Okay, yeah it it's not as it's not as big as Dragon Con, I believe, which is in Atlanta, but mm-hmm. it, it probably is Florida's largest. I think you're right. And actually, um, you'll hear a little bit later, Rob. That oh yes, well no, you were not at this interview. You hear a little bit later that one of the creators we interviewed, um, Joe Benitez started his comic, uh, Lady Mechanica, which we've talked about a few times, mm-hmm. after going to Dragon Con and seeing a bunch of the steampunk-inspired costumes and was oh, really nice. intrigued by the aesthetic and just started drawing it when he got home. He was sketching it when he was there. And he's like, you know what, I can I can come up with a story for this. And he, he talked about that briefly with me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some of the celebrities that were there, we didn't really do much of the celebrity meetups because they're very expensive. Yeah, I re- and I really wanted to because... Um, uh, Carrie Ellis, Wallace Shawn, and Chris Sarandon were all at the at the convention this year. And for for any of our listeners, you all probably know that I'm a big Princess Bride fan. Um, but the for some odd reason, because I, I was looking at doing the photo experience with them, and they had the the three of them together for a photo. It was it was more expensive to get the three of them together than it was to do each one of them individually, which I thought was kind of weird, mm-hmm. but. And I think the, just getting their autographs was like twenty, thirty bucks, maybe. I think no, they said it was more it was it was fifty. Fifty, okay. Yeah, it it was it was fifty each. I, I really feel that had you gone to meet Carrie Elwes or Elwes, that you should have asked him at least a little bit about Andre the Giant's flashlands. Oh, I, I totally would have. I totally would have. But again, that would have made bucks. it worth your fifty dollars right there. No, uh, worth it. Um, I, I just could because because the whole the whole event was like really expensive between the tickets and the hotel room and all of that stuff. So yeah, and yeah, then, I mean, and then the hundred dollars in fudge. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So the uh, some of the other people, uh, Norman Reedus was there from Walking Dead mm-hmm. on our regular episode. We're going to have some Walking Dead news, but we won't talk about that now. Uh, let's see who else. Jason Momoa was there, mm-hmm. and his pecs. And his pecs. His uh, and his he was only. The, there Sunday, but his pecs were there Thursday through Saturday. All, all four days. His pecs were yeah. there all four days. They got there before he did. Yeah. Uh, John Cena was also there. I heard from multiple people that did the John Cena thing mm-hmm. uh, that he was remarkably cool. And I heard that as well. Chatted. And well, one of them was the same person, probably Kaylee. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I heard from a couple other people that went that, that John Cena was one of the most like just gracious, nice people to meet. And based on all of his stuff that you hear about him doing, uh, what's it called? Uh, make a wish stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of a feeling I get about him. And, uh, and honestly, I've always liked John Cena when I was, when I was watching wrestling, I know that John Cena gets a lot of crap, but I always liked John Cena. Yeah. And our other host, Jimmy, who was not at Megacon. So we didn't invite him tonight. <laughs> Actually, I did, but he's got other stuff to do. He gave John Cena directions at one point and, while John Cena was driving around <laughs> where we were, and in his he told John Cena where to go. He did. He did. <laughs> you know, if I was going to do one of the meetups, I would have probably done the Amy Acker one because 
everything she's in, I love. And I, I love that oh, she balances, she balances that line of like loving mom sometimes to complete crazy psychopath, depending on which, which role she's in. So currently she's on the gifted, which I love, love her role in that, but she was great as alpha in dollhouse. She was great in, uh, oh shoot. What's the angel uh, per she's great. Name. I never saw angel, but a uh, person of interest, she was awesome when she went mm-hmm. from crazy villain to, to good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to do that one, but it was just $65. Everyone set their own price. I didn't really want to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, Michael Cudlitz, also from Walking Dead. Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman, yep. A couple other wrestlers. Uh, Alexa Bliss was there, as was Braun Strowman. Nice. Yeah, they were. Braun Strowman's going to probably get a push. So anyone that did that meetup and got that autograph is probably going to. Yeah, he's you know, huge, have... dude. <laughs> yeah. He's 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 the mountain big from Game of Thrones for our yeah. people that listen to our Game of Thrones episodes. Um, oh, and uh, I don't know if I said Stephen Moyer from from True Blood. So oh, there was a, a lot of celebrities. There was even more than that. Lucy Lawless. Yep, it's good old Xena. There was a, just a lot. Uh, Billy Dee Williams. Oh, oh uh, yeah. the the new Chewbacca, whose name is very Swedish, so I don't. It's like Jorna or something. Mm-hmm. He was there. Um, also very tall and. Yeah, so I've, in the past, I've done one of the celebrity things. I did the Felicia Day one just because of the Mystery Science Theater connection. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of weird. I, I stay far, you know, I kind of, I look over. I can see them at their tables and stuff, but I don't really need to spend money on that. Yeah. Um, and so they have the celebrities. They've got felt. big gaming things. They've got sessions. They've got a ton of artists. So it's just a general con. Um, <laughs> did, <laughs> did I tell you, Greg, I walked past the EA booth. And they gave me a free tote bag that said EA, and I and I threw it away. <laughs> that, that that is rage. It, that is admittedly the only time that you're ever going to get anything free from EA. It it totally is, and I threw it, it away. It. I was like, I don't want this. I wouldn't guy. be surprised if you checked your account and saw that they charged you for it after you threw it away. Exactly. <laughs> Did they hand you the tote the tote bag? And when you were like, "Well, where are the handles?" They were like, "Oh, you have to pay a dollar ninety nine for the handles." Yeah, you have to pay an, another dollar for the, to get the handles. Oh no, it's, the zipper, it's, it's actually a dollar. It's actually a dollar each handle. Yeah, and then like a four ninety nine for the zipper. So O E A. So let's talk about. You know, here's something I heard. I don't know if this is true or not, but when people discuss MegaCon, I've heard a lot of people that are exhibitors say it's become more of a cosplay show than anything else like more of a cosplay convention i i got to admit that's why i go um i i love megacon i love wandering around looking at the merchandise looking at the booths looking at all of that stuff but i love seeing the costumes it's it's almost like a big parade it's a parade um I, I love going because I go in costume. I love showing off my costume. I usually get stopped quite a lot for pictures. Greg can attest yes. to that. Yes. Yes, you do. Um, it is so I, much fun waiting <laughs> every five steps. Um, I, I love going and showing off my costume, but I also love seeing everyone else's costumes because, because there are a lot of times that you'll go and you'll see a costume and be like, Oh my God, that's so clever. I love that. And you need to get a picture of it. Like, like some of my favorite costumes are the mashup costumes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like the, you know, just combining two things. I like some of them. They have to be really good though. I'm a little sick of like Joker Deadpool or, or Deadpool anything. Yeah. Like 
the, I'm a little over that where you just take a Deadpool costume that's a different color and all of a sudden you're, you know, Venom Deadpool or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I've seen a couple of some of the ones that really stand out. There was one, I think it was last year. There was a Snow White Mandalorian, which I thought was awesome. Oh, yeah. I remember we, I did have a picture of that one. There was there was also a Merida Mandalorian, which I thought was fantastic as the well. Har- the Harley Quinn Iron Man was very oh, cool. Oh, that was fantastic. And and for, for those, I I think we have a picture. We'll put it up on, on our That is. Our that one's already on the Instagram. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, that, that costume was very well made. Uh, we were, Excellent. she was very nice and she was getting ready to do something and she was nice enough to pose for us. So we got to see her like putting the helmet and stuff on. It had multiple pieces and it, it had an air conditioning system. I was so um, jealous because my costume was hot. Yeah. To get a little gross, every time you had to step back whenever he would flip his, uh, his beak up his mask because it yeah. would dump out sweat. And at one point he, I wasn't cautious enough and he, he got me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you liked it. I did not. I did but, not. But um, the the Harley Quinn Iron Man suit was absolutely fantastic. It and the the suit was like in in several. It was segmented, so it was in several pieces. But it was all in like Harley Quinn motif, and the helmet had <laughs> had the little um, the little pom poms that go off on the side. I don't even know what to call that, like the jester's cap thing. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, went out probably. on the sides, and it was all like solid. Was it metal or was it plastic? It was plastic, right? It was. Uh, it was like football helmet plastic. It was a quality, like hard yeah. gloss plastic. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. It was absolutely amazing. Then, of course, there was the giant porg. Yeah, I was a big fan of the giant porg. That is also featured on our, on our Instagram yeah. page. So, but uh, I but actually that's... squealed with glee when I saw the giant porg, which is funny because it was probably like some sixteen year old. He totally did. He totally did. But yeah, I, I would have to agree that that MegaCon has become largely about the cosplay. Um, like I said, it's it's one of the main reasons I go, and I think every year they tend to have more and more actual cosplayers, um, the professional cosplayers, the people who do it you know, routinely, I, I guess for a living. I, I mean, I don't know how they make money doing it. It's absolutely fascinating to me. And I'd love to talk to some of them. Well, some of them so, live in really expensive cities too. Yeah. You talk to them and they're like here from California or Vancouver. Um, yeah, we, we got, we met a couple of them. Yeah. As well, I, we, were, we were together. So yeah, I, I met, I met, um, Bane Bravo and Lady Bane. Shout out. You guys were great. I loved your costumes. Love going. Um, but we also ran in and had a nice interview with uh, Rachel Moore, correct? Yeah, and we'll, we'll uh, I guess we'll play that right now. Uh, Rachel Moore, real quick, she uh, she had some really interesting things to say about her costuming and just how she got started and how it brought out a side of herself that she didn't really know was there. So we'll play the interview now, and then we'll come back and kind of discuss it. So I'm here with Rachel Moore, who is a gamer, cosplayer, and streamer. And I just want to ask her a few questions about cosplay. Uh, yeah. So how did you get into cosplay? Um, I got into cosplay through a friend of mine. She, We were going to Comic-Con for the first time in San Diego. And she was like, yeah, let's cosplay. Let's dress up. And I thought she was crazy. Like, I'm not going in public in a costume. That's just <laughs> no. Like, this was back in 2004, you know, um, where it wasn't a thing you could actually make a living off of. Yeah. And I never stopped. I loved it. I loved Creating the costume, I love then going to the con and interacting with people in that costume, and uh, yeah, now what I just was, What do was it. that first costume? It was Natalia Castle from the Danger Girl comics. Nice, nice. Yeah. 
my co my coworker actually worked on that PlayStation game. Oh, nice! Yeah, that's awesome. So, I was well. I was speaking to you off microphone, and you yes. said that um, that is this okay? To, that, oh. okay. You say that uh, cosplay really brought out a side of your personality that you that you didn't know. Yes. So, um, I guess can you go into that more? I've always been super shy, uh, super anxious. Um, I, I'm not very outgoing at all. I'm very much in my little protective shell of my world. And what I really like about cosplaying is once I put on that costume and I go out in public, it's it's like a buffer. That costume's kind of like that buffer to where I'm able to be more outgoing and be more confident when talking to people than I am when my just my normal self and my normal life. Gotcha. What, you're, what you guys aren't seeing is that uh, Rob is dressed as Darkwing Duck, and he's nodding his head every, with every, when she mentioned the building of the costume and of the the buffer com- I was, conversation. I was ask, how much how much work do you put into like all of your costumes? Do you, do you make a lot of your own costumes, or do you purchase pieces here and there and kind of piece it together, or how does that work for you? I try to make as much as I can on my own. There's still materials like casting and resins and stuff that I'm still working with right. to learn better, so I will purchase some of those pieces. And I will alter them myself. Um, but I do, the creation part is so important to me. That's really where you can put yourself into that character that it's one of my favorite parts. It's just, yeah, creating it and, and getting to know that character. It sounds weird, but it's really how you get to know that character. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. As I was putting this costume together, I had the theme song playing in my head for like weeks on end. And I'm just singing it to myself while I'm making the costume. And I know that sounds really stupid. Yeah, but, exactly. But, yeah. And that's why that's why I think uh, being passionate about the character or the movie or the comic that you are cosplaying from is so important. Because it really does that personalization that you put into it. Even if it's screen accurate, every costume you make has a piece of you inside. And, again, that sounds so cheesy to say. But it really, really does. And the more passionate you are about that character the more you love what you're doing. And if you love what you're doing, as they say, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, thank you very much. Um, where can uh, people see you? See um, stuff? They can see me all over the place, but my name is Rachel, and it's spelled weird. It's R-A-Y-C-H-U-L. And I have a YouTube where I do a lot of gaming stuff, and that's Rachel Moore on YouTube. And, of course, I just have a website. that's just rachel.com. Okay. Awesome. Well, I will also link to that on our Facebook page and all that stuff. So thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Again, as she spelled it, R-A-Y-C-H-U-L-M-O-O-R-E. Uh, she was very kind and very cool. So Absolutely adorable. Even with the interview stuff, which we, we did short interviews because, look, these people are there to make money. And they don't, they're not right. there to talk to podcasters. So first of all, if, if you know the interviews ran about three to five minutes, and it was largely because I didn't want to keep them away from people coming up to their booth. Right. Uh, we They... Everyone was very interesting, very cool, had a lot to offer, and no one was trying to shove us away. I was just trying, and Rob as well was trying to be kind of polite. The one thing I really thought was interesting about all the cosplayers is just how nice everyone was, like in the the, the professional cosplayers, the featured cosplayers. Yeah. yeah. The the ones that we actually had the opportunity to talk to were were extremely nice and forthcoming with any information. They were happy to talk to you. They they seemed genuinely pleased to be where they were. Yeah. And what was was interesting is like for the most part, their booths had one or two people at a time, and then a lot of people standing back trying to get pictures of them when they just stepped out to get a picture of someone else because they were scared to go talk to them. And it's and I understand like you know there are people that are shy. There's people that are. I, I say nerds, but knowing full well that I am one and 
Rob and everyone else there in their own way. But like, don't be afraid to go talk to these guys. They're, you know, some of them were talking about bullying and right. how cosplay helped them out. Some of them were talking about just their pets. Some of them just their their people. Now, I will say that I think some of that is related to the whole uh, celebrity signing and all of that, where if you want pictures, you have to pay for them. Mm-hmm. And they possibly don't realize that these people are there, you know, to get their name out. Um, and it's not, you know, they're a lot of them are happy to take pictures with you. It's it's not it's not a oh hey you know yeah you can have a picture but it's five bucks. Well, you know, it's when like, we there was another cosplayer, Evelyn thirteen, mm-hmm. and we met her not at her booth, so we just thought she had a really cool costume. We actually met her; she was wearing a, a latex Harley costume, which was very well made. Yeah, very well made. Yes. And we were at a booth for uh, the artist's name is uh, it his he goes by DNA, but he's a comic cover artist. And I was actually buying one of his prints, which was a rocket raccoon or sorry, rocket rabbit, as you say, in a animal shelter with a bunch of like cute little sad looking animals. And I thought it was because kind of a sweet little picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, she was there buying something. and She was a true fan. She was talking to the artist about his past works. She had a friend with her. And, you know, we were just kind of joking around. And I asked, you know, and then he, I think the artist asked, you know, what she does. And she said, oh, I'm one of the featured cosplayers. And so we ended up going to her booth. Oh, I went to her booth the next day. Mm-hmm. But very cool. Took pictures with us. Didn't, you know, was very happy to do so. And I was just, you know, and the next day I had a conversation with her. I actually went over to her booth because I felt bad that I didn't know that she was actually like a professional. Uh, right. A featured artist. And I was like, oh, did I just steal money from this person, you know, by taking a picture? Now, um, now also give give them the spelling so that they can see because she spells it a little weird, right? Yeah, it's uh, E-V-Y... L Y N and then the number thirteen. So I thought was, the, I thought one of the E's was a three though, or the L was a one or something like that. No, it's it's not. I think it's normal. It's uh, it, she has of course every possible way of finding her. If you if you type it in, you can find her. Uh, some of her pictures are not safe for work though, so just be aware of that. Ah, yes. Uh, her cosplay stuff is safe for work, but she has a, a career as a I guess a, a fetish artist that some of the pictures kind of leak in there. So you'd you'd have to be a little careful. Um, So yeah, she was really cool. She was really nice. And she also has a French bulldog as, as I do now, apparently. Um, So I was talking to her a little about the French, the French bulldog. So that was a kind of a cool thing. And then I ran into her at Disney the, on Sunday night. So made me happy. (laughs) And Hey, and, and back to the, Back to the uh, interview with Rachel Moore. One of the things I found absolutely fascinating was how she how she talked about how cosplay has has helped her a little bit with like her her innate shyness because she she mentions that she's that she's extremely shy and timid and whatnot, but cosplay kind of has helped her come out of her shell. And I thought she was so it's kind of really like, bubbly and friendly. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would have never gotten that. You know what I mean? But it's because she's in her costume. You know, she, she's, she puts on this persona. So it's almost like she's acting um, and it's helping her get over her shyness, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, there's a couple other cosplayers there. I didn't really get a chance to uh, see them. Um, One of the other things I did see, there was a few booths with cosplay stuff as well. There were some 3d printing booths. There was some, uh, a lot of like pop print pop or prop painting booths. Which I thought were, some of them were did some really good like professional level stuff. I will give out give a shout out to a coworker of mine who was selling some props 
and was nice enough to kind of let let his booth be my like I've lost my friends, let's meet here booth. Yeah. <laughs> Which happened once or twice. <laughs> yeah. And let me find his information here. He he can be found at uh you found Jacob on Twitter and you can see his work there. He what he does is he finds just regular toys like you know toy Hulkbuster, toy K2SO, a toy Halo gun and all that and ages them flawlessly. And he is a spot on artist. So his his uh Twitter handle is you found Jacob. His name is Jacob McAllister and you know if you get a chance to check him out this is we're doing little plugs throughout here from the people that we are that were kind enough to let us, you know, stop by their booths and kind of use it as a rest spot because it is exhausting. So yeah, it's it's huge. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, especially four days. God, I, I my feet would fall off. And um, I guess we've moved on from cosplay to the, to the booth since I did mention one of those. Yeah, and why don't we go ahead and and tackle Artist Alley simply because uh, yeah, I mean Artist Alley is is also a lot of what the show is about. You know, because you've got all these all these local or independent artists who can come, like your friend Jacob, and and show their wares and, you know, basically sell their work. The cosplay side of things, and I do enjoy taking pictures and all that. I just, I don't usually get into the dressing up side of things. Oh, but I think I, we're going to try and change that next year. I think we're going to get you a costume. Might happen. We'll see. I've done it a couple, a couple times, but it's not that I'm against the costume. I just hate carrying around crap. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, that means you know costumes mean props and all that stuff. So, and I, I'm not a huge fan of makeup. But anyway, as much as you like that stuff, I I really go for the comic artists and the mm-hmm. artist alley stuff. And there was a few major artists. I'm, we'll just name a few of them that for the comic nerds out there that might be interested. Uh, the artist Neil Adams came. He's known primarily for his work on Batman. I think he was the the first person that debuted the um, kind of the modern version of Batman with the gray suit and the blue cape and hood uh, before it kind of went to the, the black on black and like the eighties, uh, J Scott Campbell, who is very well known for, for danger girl and a bunch of his work on Spider-Man and a great cover artist, Greg Capullo, who used to do spawn and then rose up again in with Batman. Uh, let's see Donnie Cates, Amanda Connor, who draws Harley Quinn at the moment. David Finch, who is currently drawing Batman, but also had a wonderful run on New Avengers, which was a comic in the early 2000s. Jim Lee, who you know really reinvigorated the X Men, and oddly I, enough, I I, I didn't see have his heard booth. that name. I, I I am familiar with that name. I I'm not familiar with exactly his work, but I have heard that name. You would you would know it if you saw it. If his his versions of Wolverine and Magneto. And Cyclops are the ones that people know, mm-hmm. like the Cyclops with the the yellow strap, like that's kind of offset down his chest with like the circular X thing, right. and then like yeah, like that's his. Um, Rob Liefeld was there. I didn't actually see his booth, but uh, Rob Liefeld he actually was famous for being a comic artist and for two other reasons. One, he was in a Levi's uh, button fly jeans commercial where he talked about being a comic artist back in the in the nineties. <laughs> and two, yeah. he was referenced in Deadpool two as the artist that could not draw feet. Oh, really? And, yeah. So when they were talking about the character who uh, Domino, who is lucky, said, "Oh, 
that's a stupid idea. It's, it must be created by someone who can't draw feet. And Rob Liefeld is the person that created Cable and created X-Force and created Deadpool. And he gets a lot of crap, but I've heard him speak. I've met him many years ago. I've seen interviews with him and he has a, like a excitement about the comics medium that, you know, I think some other creators should have. Right. So, you know, because he's excited to do things and create new characters, he, it comes out in his work and you know, not everything has to be Shakespeare. Not everything has to be you know, super ridiculously deep. Some stuff like Deadpool works. Right. And as you can see, um, I think, uh, uh, Oh, uh, Scott Snyder, who is a writer. He wrote, um, most recently DC metal, but also he was a writer for Batman. And he wrote, uh, the book that Jimmy was talking about the other day on our show. He wrote, uh, severed and, oh, okay. uh, jock, who is a remarkable artist for, and he does Batman covers, stuff like that. Um, one of the things I did miss and saw his booth, but didn't see him. There was Drew Struzan, who, is probably one of the most famous artists of all time that no one knows his name because he did almost every movie poster, uh, every good movie poster in the eighties and nineties. Uh, he did, you know, uh, all the star Wars posters, the back to the future poster for the movies, the, all the Indiana Jones posters. If it was a painted movie poster, he did it. He did all the Harry Potter posters. Um, right. and he was there and I, I didn't get over to his booth in time. I, I saw it covered up, but, Unfortunately, hopefully he will be back. Um, but you know, so those are the big names, but there was also a few. Oh, and, and this actually is a big name. Um, but Joe Benitez, who, as we mentioned earlier, did Lady Mechanica and mm -hmm. Lady Mechanica is a steampunk inspired comic. Jimmy just talked about it on the show. Probably one of our early episodes, right? Um, he's actually talked about it a couple of times, I believe. Yeah. I think he read two of the series. Uh, I recently reread the, all the trades. And when, you know, two years ago or two con, uh, cons ago, his writer was there and I don't remember her name right now, but she was very cool. And we, we bought a bunch of stuff from her. She autographed a bunch of stuff, no problems. And he wasn't able to come for some reason. So this year I found out he was going to be there. So I brought the books back and again, just autographed it. He was drawing sketches for people, not charging people. And he actually sat down for an interview with me. Uh, for for a little while, and uh, I guess we should play that now. Yeah, very excited to be here with Joe Benitez, who happens to be one of my all-time favorite comic artists. He currently works on Lady Mechanica, but I remember him from uh, a comic called Weapon Zero. So I'm gonna ask him a few questions and uh, stop, uh, you know, bl blithering like an idiot here. I guess uh, first thing, uh, what are you working on now? Uh, right now, another Lady Mechanica story called Le Belle Sans Merci, or The Beauty Without Mercy. Yeah, it's uh, it's a new, uh, the latest Lady Mechanica installment. Nice, nice. So I guess uh, when is that due to come out? July. July fifth. Okay. Well, I know what I'll be purchasing on July fifth. As as you guys might remember from listening, we did uh, cover the uh, the earlier books, uh, some of our earlier episodes, probably around last July, if I remember correctly. How did you uh, get into uh, the Lady Mechanica? How did you uh, create that character? Uh, I was uh, in a show. Uh, in Atlanta called Dragon Con and uh, I came across a lot of uh, steampunk cosplayers you know and uh, I just found the the aesthetic incredibly uh, pleasing it's uh, it was and uh, I looked at it and I was like that would make a really interesting comic book 
so based on that, I started developing Lady Mechanic as a basically doing research on steampunk and sort of taking bits and pieces and cobbling together until you know we end up with what you see. Nice. I've uh, always said that the the one thing I always I can recognize on your artwork is uh, you can draw sharp things that look so ungodly sharp. Is that is that uh, just years of hard work? Uh, <laughs> sure. I like sharp things. <laughs> like sharp things? Yeah, I like poking people with sharp. I mean, yeah, yeah. I like. Them. Nice, nice. When, so when you're coming up with uh, new themes for the various uh, series, like I've I've noticed that you know each one of the uh, the mini series, I guess they're called, um, they've all kind of revolved around a, a certain theme. Um, how does that kind of come about? It's uh, we the the story dictates that we uh, we um, my partner and I, Marsha Chen or MM Chen, we uh, come up with a plot or we an idea for a story. We bring it in, we take it, and uh, uh, sort of start uh, sort of sculpting the story as we as we go, and trying to find out what exactly we want to say with it. Um, and we're becoming more uh, aware of that with uh, with each story that we do. We, we start getting a it, it, they just sort of um, come out as as the story progresses, and it becomes. Uh, more um, apparent of what the story's about, the themes emerge, okay. and then once the themes emerge, it's uh, we start like incorporating those themes into the rest of the story. The uh, and again, it, it just uh, a lot of times we don't necessarily go in with that intent. It, we, we might go in with a different approach, and then that the the theme sort of starts uh, bubbling up. You know. Nice. That's very cool. Well, I love your work. I love the stories, and uh, you know, as as they come out, I will uh, continue. As will uh, my co-host Jimmy, who's not here today, but he is also a huge fan. All right, Jimmy. Yep. So. Shout out to Jimmy. Yes. Um. So as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the name of the show is Give Me Five Podcast. So I usually put people on the spot and ask them their five favorite things. I'm kind of leaning between either five your five influences, artistic influences, or your five favorite steampunk stories that are not your own. So. Um. As far as steampunk, I'm not a big fan of steampunk. Okay. That's <laughs> no, I mean, I actually, uh, I, I wouldn't know. Gotcha. And so, as far as influences, uh, now or back when I started? Uh, anytime. All right. Todd McFarlane, Michael Golden, uh, Arthur Adams, Barry Windsor Smith, um, Jim Lee. Excellent. That's a, that is a strong list. <laughs> okay. Well, I thank you very much. And, uh, oh, I guess, uh, where can people, uh, buy your books? Uh, joebenitez.com. Awesome. Go there, buy lots of books. Yes, I gotta pay rent. Very cool. He, as you heard, he did one of our silly give me five things, which I, for some reason, on some of the interviews, totally forgot to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I didn't forget. I, I started doing That's it. That's our shtick, man. I know, I know. It wasn't that I forgot to do it. I just didn't want to bother people with it and, like, you know, when they were being nice enough and whatever. So he, uh, his lists of artists that inspired him is, you know, some of the top artists in the game. But the cool thing is, is he's probably ended up working with all of them one way or the other, either doing covers for their books when they did the interiors or the other way around. I briefly mentioned in the, in the interview, the Weapon Zero and Weapon Zero was, was this comic came out and it just had this really cool future look and it came out, God, I, I think I was in high school, maybe early college. And it's one of the things, like, I still have it somewhere because I just couldn't, I couldn't give it away. I couldn't sell it. I just love the artwork in it. 
So a few years later, when I heard that he was doing his own series, I, I jumped on that. And again, very cool of him to to let us interview him. And as he said, he's got a new book coming out soon. The, they're Even if you don't read them, and read them because the story is great, they're so mm-hmm. pretty. I mean, you saw his art at the booth. It's very like portraits and Day of the yeah. Dead stuff and just, just beautiful art and beautiful coloring on those. Um, and that we actually, I was actually able to get two more interviews and talk to two more people. Uh, one of which is a guy named Christian Slade. And I met him a few years back and he does a, a book style comic called Corgi and it's Corgi with a K. Oh. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I think I've seen that name before, like at MegaCon, and I totally have because you've taken me to his booth a couple of times. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> I have, uh, so it's Corgi with a K. Uh, he is, as you'll hear in, in the interview in a second, he is a f- former Disney artist, and you can tell in the way he draws animals and specifically their eyes and the way the characters interact that he has a lot of training. Very nice person. He he talked to me for. At length, and that was, you know, part of an interview, part of it on other things. Uh, he's got four Corgi books. Again, that's with a K, K-O-R-G-I. And he's got four books. The fifth one is coming out in about a year, and that's actually going to finish up the story of Corgi. He's got, he is um, actually potentially starting a podcast. And Oh, really? Yeah. And he's just, um, you know, every every year, I, I don't have access to his books normally. I mean, you can probably order them online, but every year I always look forward to just going to the show, buying them directly from him. He gets all of the money when you do that and just, you know, talking to him and he'll, and whenever you buy the books from him, which I highly suggest doing if you get a chance, he draws a little sketch in each book. Mm-hmm. So I have original yeah. sketches in all the books. Um, this year, actually, he also threw in, I bought a, a few books from him and I was able to get a Corgi uh, enamel pin. So whether I wanted to be a pin collector or not, I'm slowly I've got a, a coffee pin now, a corgi pin, and a uh, Chewbacca porg pin, which we'll I think we can talk about in a second. But um, here's Christian Slade talking a little bit about you know about how his book came about, what the story is about, and uh, his a little bit about his life from Disney. Christian Slade, the writer and artist and everything, I'm guessing of corgi is a uh, graphic novel or comic book. Uh, that's Corgi, K-O-R-G-I. It is absolutely adorable. Uh, no words, right, in the comic, if I remember correctly? Yeah, primarily silent. Yeah, there's a narrator in the beginning, so you got a page of text in the beginning and a little glossary of characters at the end. And it describes the characters, a little brief synopsis, and their names. So, But yeah, pretty much all all, uh, all uh, wordless, as we yeah. say. What's, what's interesting is the first time I ever read Corgi, book one, I didn't even realize that it was wordless because the characters are so expressive and the story is so expressive that you get all the way through. You're like, wow, I read it, but I didn't read it. So it's, that really speaks to the, to the talent and, and, uh, the cartooning, I guess. Yeah. Of that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I guess, uh, tell the listeners who don't know about Corgi a little bit about Corgi. Yeah. Well, Corgi is a woodland fairy tale. You already know it's, t- the, the technique of the story is told, uh, through s- just drawing. So silent storytelling, you could say. Uh, Corgi though is basically a woodland fairy tale and Sprout the dog, the Corgi, is the main character and, and, and his buddy Ivy, the girl, is, 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 is his friend. And the story basically revolves around the legend of the Welsh Corgi. And if you're not familiar with the breed, they actually have a uh, kind of a folklore around them that they were the steeds of the fairies and they were the little poems written about them over the years that 
the, the corgis were little uh, cattle and little horsebacks for the for the ferry. So this was already there when I arrived on creating corgis, uh, the, the, the storyline, when I came up with the concept back in um, the early 2000s, and when I started building it. And I said, he had poems, he had a few little short stories, but nothing substantial. Um, Tasha Tudor had done some wonderful mm -hmm, uh, picture book work, and she was genius in paving the way for corgi art. And when I came on the scene, I started painting corgis just for fun, because I had them. But then when I figured out this legend was existed, and I thought it was a natural, um, uh, it was a natural uh, subject that had yet to be really delved into. So I set out to create an epic woodland fairy tale, really uh, exploring the mythology and the magic that corgis have. And that's what the that's what the books are all about: magic, wonder, all the things I love. So, and uh, okay, I guess book four just came out, or yeah, in the past four, year or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about a, a little over a year old, and. It's, it continues the story of Ivy and Sprout. Each book stands alone in the four-book series we have right now. However, there is a larger arc happening with a, a main villain character and their their ability to uh, negotiate around him and, and what's happening. And you learn about the backstory of the Corgi Hollow, which is where they all live, as you proceed through the books. So, and yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the art and the characters are super expressive. Um, what, is, what is your artistic background? Well, I drew from... Uh, being a kid, like a lot of the artists here at MegaCon and, uh, and the comic shows you go to, I, I had the bug early. I got caught real early, and it just I never shook it. I love drawing. So I kind of always wanted to do a story. I love books, always been in love with books, and seeing art in the book, married to the story and the, and the text, and the, it's just the page turning, everything is, is, is just a wonderful experience for me. I love books. And so when I – the process really – they say, how long did it take for you to do a book? When in reality, the first book, which was a master's thesis, final project for a degree in illustration. Even though when I, by the time I sat down to do all the final art, you add it up, it was about, you know, the course of, you know, about six months of heavy, you know, lifting. But I did it over the course of about two years, but really six months heavy. It took my whole life, you know. You say, how long, how long did it take you to paint that? Or how long did it take you to draw a piece? A lot of times artists get asked that and say, well, it took my whole life. Yeah. Because it's... Your cumulative uh, buildup of what you are is, yeah, you know, exactly. what you're doing, and and that's, uh, yeah, that's the process that's, there. That's a good yeah. trick. When, that's uh, my when background. I'm, when I'm doing logos and stuff, that's the, the big trick. It's like this only took you 30 know, minutes. It did not only take me 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Yeah, there's a great story about the was it the dishwasher repairman or or the uh, the washing machine repairman. There's a story where the washing machine repairman came to the guy's house. And he opened the back panel. He was there a total of 15 minutes, and he just pressed a button and reset something, and that was it. It worked again. And the guy's like, you just charged me $250. You yeah. just 15 minutes to press a button. And he goes, yeah, but that's the story of life. Which button to press? Yep. And it's all the training <laughs> I had to do to press it, and there you go. So yep. I guess that's the secret in life. Find out what button you need to press, right? And so <laughs> yep. for me, it's drawing and painting and and doing these kind of stories is uh, is just one of my favorite places to be. So, yeah. Awesome. So, well, I will uh, not take up all your time. So, uh, where can people go to find the books and see more about you and, and buy the books? Yeah, well. Lots and lots of books. Buy them all. <laughs> Thanks. It's uh, Christian Slade uh, is the name, and it's christianslade.com, and you can find me there. I'm also, the books are available through uh, the publisher, IDW Top Shelf. And you can find uh, also on Amazon. They're all over online. So, Excellent. Sure. Hey, and, uh, and of course, 
the theme of the show or the name of the show is the Give Me Five podcast. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. You're yeah. so nice to answer my questions. Sounds great. So I get to I get to put you on the spot here, and um, I'm going to have to go with what are your five favorite animated animal characters other than your own? Five being your your least best favorite, down to one okay. being your favorite favorite. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a that's a good top list. So if we're saying animated, I got to go animated, right be, to classic. Be, Oh, you uh, it can be books or animated movies. Mm. Or... Oh, wow. So now we're opening up to books, not just animated. Okay. Uh, wow, that opens it up big. That opens up big. But animated, I'm going to say animals. You can, narrow, you can narrow it down to animated. Yeah. animated. I'm going to keep it animated. Let's keep it animated because then it starts getting real, really all over the place. But I'm going to say, and I go to the class, I'm a Disney fan at heart. I love Disney animation. I'm going to have to say, let's start with the... Uh, the Dumbo, the mother Dumbo, and, oh. and Dumbo herself. And oh, the, so yeah, sad. And <laughs> that scene, but the whole movie, you know, the, the uh, Bill Pete storyboards, um, when you look at those, the uh, drawings of simply, of staging, of a uh, little that, elephant the, getting the, a bath. The sequence or the... Yeah, uh, but they're little, no, they're getting a bath in the bathtub. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that is a beautiful It's sequence. so wonderful. And again, pretty much a silent, you know, for the most part. It reads, you know, real well. Uh so I'd say Dumbo would be number five. Oh, it's tough. It's a, and now this don't hold me to this because it'll change next yeah, time you see, ask I warned, me. I warned you before. It's I was like, tough. I put you on the spot. And, and I'll go with. Uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Tramp, Lady and the Tramp. Love Lady, but there's that Milk Call animated scene when you first see Tramp, where he wakes up and he stretches and he uh, goes okay. under the the little dripping water that's coming out of the little water tower, and he just like. You know, uh, just beautiful and just wonderful char- character moments. And I guess you can put Lady in there, too, you know. And, and really, that whole Lady and the Tramp crew, I, that's a masterful film. One of my favorites, being a dog lover, that's close to my heart. What was the name of the, the Disney animators? They, they have, like, a nickname. Is it the, uh, the Nine Old Men. The, the Nine, Nine Old, Old Men, Men. yeah. And they did that as well, right? They, they were, a lot of them are on that, yeah. yeah. There's, I, there's only, is that the film? There's one film where they all worked on it, but... Not they didn't all work on like it wasn't so white. Yeah, pieces. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah, a lot of them. So like, there's always one or two that were yeah. uh, elsewhere. But uh, yeah, the Lady and the Tramp would be number two. And um, so the, the the animal favorite animal characters of animation. What is uh, I'm saving? I know what my number one is. I'm saving that. So uh, let's see what else. You got the because um, you think the, you forget the modern day Disney animation history is so rich. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to jump ship a little bit, uh, literally. Uh, I'll go to Finding Nemo. I'm going to go oh, okay. with that. And I thought the animation in that was amazing. I thought that whole movie. And you really, yeah, I, I guess Nemo himself. That movie but. in itself for me, because that was the movie my kid glommed onto and watched oh, yeah. seven, eight times in a row. Oh, so at sweet. first I was watching the movie. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I've seen this a little bit too many yeah. times. <laughs> so then I was looking at the textures. And sure. I was looking at the animation sure. and, the, and the framing and yep. the lighting and all that. So. I know exactly what you mean there. Complete masterpiece. Complete masterpiece. And I'm going to go off, off off the reservation here. I'm yeah. going to switch it up a little just to shake things up. I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go Samurai Jack. There's an episode where he gets turned into a rooster, a chicken okay. for the episode. And I just want to plug that because I think that that show doesn't get enough uh, praise as it yeah, should. I think it's the greatest uh, animated cartoon on TV ever. What I think is mm-hmm. really interesting is you were. The second person that I've interviewed, uh, <laughs> five people today, 
Really? Two people have mentioned Samurai Jack wow. very highly. There's something in the air. There's something and, in the air. And they're professional, and they're professional artists that did, did it. So. It's it's a masterpiece. So, yeah, going off, uh, but then we'll bring it back on track. Yeah, I guess if I have to pick a favorite, it'd be Coda, the cub from Brother Bear, because okay. that was the film I got to work on. It was a nice, lifelong nice. dream to be a Disney animator, and I got to fulfill that when I was able to get into the studio before it closed, and I helped mm-hmm. work in the cleanup department and finish the film. Awesome. And that was the first drawing I did that was production approved, and um, it was, was a it was cool. a pleasure. So not many people get to do that. So it was it was very, uh, very it was an cool. honor. So yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Okay, well, I it squares it away, guys. You have to check out Corgi. Um, I bought. I met Christian about I don't know four or five years ago, and I saw the first book and fell in love with it. And every year, it's always always like checking out his booth at MegaCon and see what's up next. So thank you very much, and uh, I'll see you next year. Thank you. Really cool that he got a chance to work for Disney, and that was one of his dream jobs, and he got a chance to do that. Uh, so, I guess, do you want to talk about the pin guy? The pin guy. Well, um, Greg introduced me to this pin. I Was it Comic Book Day? Yeah, did you, on, on did you saw it first? Day. On Free Comic Book Day, yeah, on, at Epic Comics. On Free Comic Book Day, yeah. And I was like, oh! And I didn't see the uh, I didn't see the picture of the pin until you had already left, and I texted you back as soon as I saw the picture. I'm like, "Are you still there?" And he's like, "No, dude, I left a while ago." I'm like, "Oh, you suck." Free comic book <laughs> so day is very thought- fun. When you have a five year old, you have approximately thirty minutes before you're going to be picking up confetti of shredded comics and buying it. So I uh, I got in, got out. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, he he showed me this 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 picture of this pin and I thought it was so clever and so cuz I love mashups. Like we've already discussed with like cosplay and stuff. I love mashups and this pin is a total mashup and I loved every bit of it. And I and I really really wanted it and I was excited when he said that the artist was actually at Megacon and I'm like, "Do you think he has the pin?" So he's like he he's like he might. So I went over to check his booth and the artist's name is Danny Haas. That's H-A-A-S. You can check it. I believe he's got an online store, right? You can check him out online. Because online when, I checked, when I checked the store online, it was down. So I was really disappointed. But it, it, I believe they were just transferring stuff over. I'm not sure if it's up yet, but it, it should be. Yeah, he just released a book. He does a thing like half and halves where it's these really cool pictures of like, they're very simple, like iconic. You know, half is Peter Parker, half is Spider-Man. Or half is mm-hmm. uh, Wolverine, half is Sabretooth. So they're like, uh, I'm making some of them up, I think. But, you know, like either people in their alter egos or um, people in their villains. And he's also happens to be one of the exclusive Lucasfilm artists and had, you know, he does a lot of like posters and stuff for Lucasfilm. But the, the pin is so cool. And I don't, like I said, I don't really buy pins, but this one I had to because it was... It was awesome. Yeah, and and I believe we've got it up on our on our Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Um, Which one did we put it on? Or did put we put it on, it on both, or is it on Facebook? Um, I haven't put it on anything. So if you put it on something, oh, it's there. So Rob, will put I it put up. it on my Instagram, but I'll I'll put it up on the Give Me Five uh, the Give Me Five Instagram. Um, but it's it's basically um, the Beast in in the pose where during the song um, something there where all the birds land on the beast and they're like all along his arms and everything. So it's the beast, but his bottom half is like Chewbacca with the little, with the little belt that goes across the bandolier yeah. across the chest. Yeah. The, the bandolier and all of the birds that are perched on the beast 
are all porgs. It's ridiculously cute. We've determined that I have a porg problem. You well, yes, you do. I just found the the name of the cover artist that I bought stuff from, and I feel like I should give a shout out to is David Nakayama, and he's done a bunch of covers for X Men and things like that, and just a stunningly beautiful and funny and sad uh, rocket raccoon thing in a animal shelter. So that was that guy's name. Um, we have I got uh, one more kind of interesting con- well two more kind of interesting conversations, one of which is a guy uh, named John Jang. And we're going to try to get him on at some point in the show. He was he was a little busy at his booth because he is a concept artist. And we stopped by his booth on the first day because his art was just so good. And it was different and it was unique, and, but it was well done. We got to talking mm-hmm. to him and it turns out that not only was he, you know, did he design like some of the other armor, like, devices for iron man and the iron man movies one of the things was the the rockets that like brought the armor to him when he was falling out of the airplane in iron man 3 he designed the hulkbuster or was one of the designers on the hulkbuster he designed some ships for rogue one that were on screen he designed one of the he designed the interior of the the mechs from civic rim like the room where they're like moving their feet and stuff uh the Ninja Turtles in the in the latest Ninja Turtles movies, which he actually sort of apologized for when he was talking to someone else. <laughs> he was like, "Look, Michael Bay told me what to do. I, you know, he actually designed the he his design for Shredder was way better than the one that they picked. As these giant blades on his arm, it was really cool. You can find it on his website. Um, and his website is it's not under his name. It's uh, let me find that. Forgive the frantic typing here. He goes by um, orbitalharvest.com and very cool guy. And he's actually, again, starting his own podcast. And he's um, he's going to possibly come on to ours at some point. He said he was more than happy to do it. He just needs to get things settled because he's, you know, of course, doing shows and stuff. So he... Oh, and he's, he also said he wanted to to be able to get his thoughts together because because you were actually talking about interviewing and he was like, oh, I'm kind of hectic here. My, my brain's a little scattered. I want to actually be able to give you a decent yeah, interview. Yeah, it'll be a longer so. form interview. The ones you've heard so far have been two, three minutes because of where we were. Mm-hmm. But he's going to give us kind of a long form. Maybe we'll come on and talk a little bit about some of the projects he's working on. Just talk about the process of concept art. And I highly suggest going to orbitalharvest.com and checking out his work and just your mouth will just drop open in awe of some of the stuff that he does. Excellent work. Excellent. And I also got one more opportunity to talk to an artist, uh, an up and coming artist named Joe Catapeno. And he is, he's done some covers for some indie work and you'll, this is another one of the person that I interviewed on, on Mike. And he's got a, an online comic coming out soon. And I don't know if it, Rob, if you remember Eon Flux, the cartoon, I do. I do. Uh, it was it was actually a very interesting style at the time that it came out because there wasn't a I, I think I've I think we've seen stuff like it since then, mm-hmm. but it, it was it was very very elongated and angular. Yes. I mean, I would compare it maybe to like uh, Cowboy Bebop. Would you Would you compare it to that? Uh, I wouldn't know about that, but I can say yes. It was very it was very out there, very weird. I watched it every time I saw it. It was on Liquid Television on MTV. I'm, they mm-hmm. made a terrible movie about it. Oh, it was yeah, awful. the which probably ruined the. And I, and I love Charlize Theron, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was just not good. Yeah, and it sucks because I think it ruined the property. The, the property was so weird because like I thought it was maybe French at first because one the name, but also the 
like the way the characters talk, they didn't really speak English. And there was like these cutscenes with like a fly walking on someone's eye. And there was like this, this very weird story with like her villain was also her lover. And it was, it was very interesting, but that's besides the point. So he, so Joe is coming, is doing a, a story uh, very, very soon, which I had up on the screen, uh, star struck it. And it's, the art is, it does look a lot like, Eon Flux. It has some some other inspirations, which he talks about. And when talking about it, because it's going to be an online comic, it's going to come out very rapidly. I don't know exactly, maybe once a week or something like that. He uh, says that you know it's, he had to simplify his style, and his style is is very dynamic, very classic, very classic comic book style. Um, mm-hmm. So like you know, he had some pages up, and I was blown away. I've I've actually known him for a little while, so. You know, here he is talking about his upcoming comic and his, uh, you know, Patreon and just, you know, some of the stuff he's doing. Okay, and now I'm here with Joe Catapano from the web series Star Circuit. We're going to ask him a few questions about his career and uh, Star Circuit itself. So I guess first, uh, tell me about Star Circuit. Awesome. Star Circuit is really a story about uh, man versus machine. It's based in a cyberpunk future where uh, AI and and augmented reality and everything is taken over where it's uh, infiltrated all aspects of society so the it's it's really um more about the characters though uh it's more about a street racer named atlas and he's kind of like a a narcissist and he's it's more about his character transformation so when he uh realizes and unlocks the secrets of the past um he kind of takes on this ai um which is controlling the racing scene very cool yeah i'm looking at i'm looking at some of the art here which unfortunately you guys can't see which i i seem to be saying a lot these days but um it's absolutely beautiful art um so what is your uh is it released on the web yet uh not as of yet i have a developer blog on the website is starcircuitcomic.com and i'll have a patreon that has all the behind the scenes of everything so i plan to release uh end of this year it will be a weekly um release probably a couple pages at a time oh very cool um what what is the patreon address so we can uh get you guys get you more traffic there right, right. so the patreon is uh, just patreon.com slash uh art i think about this <laughs> very cool uh what other projects do you have in the works have you uh you know i know you've done you've, pa- you've oh, yeah. done past comic work yeah, as yeah. well right so i've done um a lot of stuff for like random indies um my most recent is a uh, well, I've, I've worked for sketch cards as well, Marvel sketch cards okay. for Upper Deck just recently, and I've gotten a lot of uh, one-shot covers um, for a lot of the new indie projects coming out. Uh, some I really can't even name, but oh, okay. yeah, been fun. That's cool. You've got to love those top, the uh, top secret projects there. Right, right. I always like to ask people just because I, you know, I have them as well. But uh, who are your artistic influences? Oh, big ones. Um, all right, so when I think about science fiction, I think uh, Sid Mead, which is a designer that pretty much revolutionized cyberpunk, uh, a big designer on things like Blade Runner. Um, in comics, big names like Jim Lee. I think my most favorite influence and probably the biggest influence on me is uh, Kenneth Rockford, which is a, a big uh, technical artist in yeah, comics. Yeah. Really technical. I was trying to guess. I would have. I would have guessed the Jim Lee. Just yeah. based on looking, there was. Yeah. I was uh, maybe thinking you were going to say uh, Hubert a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of Hubert, a little bit 
um, the big ones. I really liked uh, some of the simplistic forms that, like, Dan Simora, okay. um, he does Power Rangers, okay. uh, the Power Rangers comic. His, his forms, uh, Carlos Gomez, which he's got a couple good projects. He just did um, Red Sonja. Oh, okay. And so he's awesome. Oh, I saw, I saw some of those. Yeah, yeah. He's so awesome. I've been a little bit out of the comics world um, due to that the, a small human that runs around my house now. But <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but you know, I, I'll still look at the covers. and I guess I'm trying to figure out a good que- a good give me five question here. Right, right. So, so I'm going to th- I'm gonna put him on the spot here. He was so nice to uh, be interviewed, so now I'm going to torture him, and I'll make him answer a give me five uh, question here. Um, you're going to go five to one, five being your least best favorite, down to one, which is your all-time favorite. Uh, your uh, let's go future dystopias. What are your five favorite future dystopias? It can be books, it can be movies, it can be anime, it can be anything. Just can't be your own because I'm sure your own is the best. Well, I definitely won't give you my own. Uh, number five, I'm gonna say. Oh man, there's something from uh, a video game that came. It's an indie video game called Hyperlight Drifter, and it's a uh, it's a world that's just torn apart by uh, these giant robots. Uh, number two, or no, number four rather. <laughs> Let's do. Um, still, uh, does Batman Beyond count? I, yeah, yeah. Animated Batman Beyond. Yep. Yeah. It's a good, actually a good answer. I, yeah, that one I really enjoy. Um, mainly for it's just it's still like noirish. Yeah. Sense to it. Um, let's go with Deus Ex from okay. the video game. The, you, so you are a big video game. Yeah, yeah. Deus Ex is really good. Uh, even the new, even the new Mankind Divided. Was, um, then Samurai Jack. I think that's. Nice. Huge, and then obviously number one, Blade Runner. Okay, yeah, For that's sure. that, that. That I think has to be the default number yeah. one. Yeah. Or should you lose all, lose all nerd cred? Well, thank awesome. you very much, Joe. And uh, again, where can uh, people reach you and find your stuff? Sure. Well, my main website is at joecatapanoart.com. Uh, like I said, my Patreon is uh, patreon.com/slash/catapanoart, and uh, you can find me catapanoart on Instagram and all the other social media outlets. Awesome. Thanks again interesting it's um it's cool to talk to people that are established and it's also very cool to talk to people that are up and coming and trying to become so. yeah and you know it's the other thing that's weird is sometimes you see people that have real true talent and at these shows and you're like how are you not on a monthly comic book you know, mm-hmm. uh, between joe here uh, you know even our you know the show's friend derek rook you know the and i think if derek wanted a monthly book he could probably get one um, he's out there probably listening angrily wondering why we're talking about him, but I uh, hope he'll be on the show. Hi Derek. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be on the show eventually. He is a uh, artist of, of horror books and he runs rough house, pub, rough house publishing, which does fantastic horror books, not for the squeamish. You'll, you'll, there's, you'll see some things, uh, rough house publishing books are the type of books that I have to uh, hide from the family. So, but I think that kind of takes us, um, away from the, the comic art side of things and, you know, just some of the other stuff that we saw there. This is actually the other reason that I go. Um, I'm not one to spend a lot of time going to panels. Um, I don't typically go for autographs, uh, for photographs. That stuff is way too expensive. There, there are other things that I like to spend my money on. <laughs> A hundred dollars worth of fudge. Oh my god, it was so good. <laughs> and I don't even eat fudge because it's got a whole lot of sugar in it. But my god, those were good. Um, the fudge and the little truffle things, yeah. Oh, it was it was awesome. What was that company? It was Moonshine something? We got to uh, give them a shout out. Yeah, Moon uh, Moonshine. Uh, ugh. 
I it was Moonshine something. They were based out of Pittsburgh. Was it Moonshine Chocolate Company? Yeah, you you just talk about whatever you're going to talk about. I'm going to go on their on their website and probably order five pounds of fudge <laughs> and and sixty truffles. Um, yeah. So the the other part of MegaCon that I love to go for is the the shopping and all of the complete nerd stuff. You'll find like all kinds of cool nerd T-shirts. Uh, that would be Chocolate Moonshine Company. Oh, I so I was close. It says uh, chocolatemoonshine.com. Uh, it does say illegally good. And they are beautiful. They're they're hand painted, so they decorate all of the truffles themselves. And they're um, about the size of a half a cigar. Instead of their usually truffles are round like cherry cordials, but these things are like the size uh-huh. of a half of a cigar. Right. They're 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 like long. Um, um, I'd say they're they're a little bit bigger than a cigarette, mm-hmm. as, as far as as far as width is concerned. Um, but they're it's like a it's like a ganache coating. And a truffle inside. The, mm-hmm. the inside of this of this uh, stick is is truffle, and there's like a, a ganache coating on the outside. My personal favorites were the Irish cream and the black cherry bourbon. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they were, they were pretty good. They, uh, they also had a cookies and cream, a chocolate brownie, a strawberry one. Es- espresso, um, orange bourbon, uh, fresh orange, black raspberry. They had all kinds of flavors. There's a mojito they were, one. Which they oh, didn't they didn't there. have that one there. Yeah, and no, a, they didn't have that. And one. a pink champagne one. Ooh. Yeah. So I def we Greg and I definitely recommend this place because it was so good. I actually still have some in my fridge that I'm going to probably try and savor. Um, but there is all kinds of stuff at MegaCon. I mean, they had that one year. I remember I went and I was just fascinated with these backpacks that they had. And I even I think I even took you over to that booth. You did Greg. twice actually. I was. I was like, look at this. This is so cool. This is great. Um, we never saw I, them again. No. Every year, I always find something that I'm like, oh, this is awesome. The backpacks this year were the hard ones. That actually, the, the Harley Quinn was walking around with one. The robot Harley Quinn was walking around with one of the hard backpacks. Well, but the 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 one that got me this year was the Yukoala bags. Um, they're, they're almost like a steampunk side saddle bag. It kind of like straps on your hip and it, it straps around your leg, but it's like a backpack on your hip, basically. Mm-hmm. Made it, you know, some, like a, made in some weird Chinese village, if I remember correctly. I heard someone talking. Probably, yeah, probably. Like no, like seriously, like they weren't kidding. They said it was like made by like this, uh, like this one small outfitter in a Chinese village that like it wasn't one of those like big government Chinese companies like makes that makes everything in mass. It's like this it one small group of people. Unless they're completely messing with someone, and I happen to get like caught in the crossfire, but yeah, yeah, made by blind Chinese monks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, there's there's just so much to see and find and you can you can find so many neat cool little little things here and there um i love going into the steampunk stores they've got um leather steampunk hats that you can find they've got different kind of one year we went there was a guy that designed and and created his own steampunk style uh, guns for like cosplay, mm-hmm. you know they they weren't they weren't like real guns, but they looked like they they were models. And they had like light bulbs on them and yeah, yeah, and the ears and clockwork and all that stuff. I mean, you can find some of the weirdest, neatest stuff that you would never even think to look for. And then, of course, you can find things like lightsabers. Yes, and very expensive, but cool lightsabers. Very very expensive. 
but there's there's several different companies and I had to take Greg over to show him my favorite but there's there's several different companies that that do lightsabers some of the big ones are ultra sabers mm-hmm. you have saber forge um, I believe saber Smith is another large one but my personal favorite is Vader's vault and the reason for that is Vader's vault does some very intricate and elegant work with their with their lightsabers. Their their lightsaber handles are significantly smaller in diameter than than Ultra Sabers, who is the the comparable party that is at MegaCon. Usually, Vader's Vault and Ultra Sabers are there. Ultra Sabers has this huge booth, and they have all kinds of lightsabers. They have a couple of designs that you can get, but they're all extremely extremely thick. They're you know it's it's like you're it's like you're holding a log. Um, and you, you can it's, buy it's them about, relatively It's about cheap. the thickness of a maglite. And I have very con- big concerns by, from saying it's about the thickness of a maglite with Rob on the air. <laughs> but that's what she said. There you go. Um, but that's accurate because <laughs> I have, as yeah, I think you do as well, right? Um, no, I, I don't have ultra sabers. I, I, I preferred Vader's vault from the word go. So my, my two lightsabers are both Vader's vault. Um, they're just easier to hold. I, I feel, and I don't want to knock ultra sabers because they're, they're a very good saber. A lot of people love them. I just like Vader's vault better. So there's, there's differences. First of all, Vader's vault is a little more expensive, but I think their, their mechanics on the inside are a little better. They're a little better engineered, which is how their handle is able to be so slow or so small. Right. Well, well, they're also more expensive because they don't sell um, models without sound. Whereas Ultra Sabers, if you just want a stick that lights up, like you can get bucks. that from Ultra Saber. And it'll, yeah, and it, it'll be like 75, 150 mm-hmm. bucks, something like that. So you can get one without sound and it'll be cheap. Um, but Vader's Vault doesn't have that option. They won't sell, they won't sell one without, yeah. they won't sell one without sound. And just, you know, being over at the Vader's Vault booth, uh, it was a, it was a family type situation. They, yes. I, I'm pretty sure it, the guy that created the company designs a lot of the sabers. Uh, his daughter was there. I, I don't know if his wife was there or not. There was a woman there that I remember her from last year. Yeah, I, I, I believe that was Yeah, they're his wife. very nice. They actually talked to us, so we'll, we'll play that interview in a second. Um, oh, I didn't even tell you this, Rob. Um, Ethan had his very first moment the other day of talking to someone he thought was mommy but not, you know, like walking over to someone. And uh-huh. it was uh-huh. the it was the daughter of the guy from from uh, Vader's Vault. Oh, Where really? He came out of the store at uh, the Landing Bay. Is that what it's called at Disney? At launch, launch Bay. Launch Bay. He came out, and there's like that one planter right there as you leave the store. Uh-huh. And she was sitting there. And it was kind of dark. And he walked out, and he was like, Mommy, they had lightsabers or something like that. And she like looked up like, huh? And I was like, oh. And like I said, sorry, and I pulled him away. And then I was like, wait. I know her. <laughs> so I went back and said hi. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, definitely a family thing. It was a, a labor of love, man. Those those were very cool. And the mechanics in those things, the electronics in those things are super cool. Abs- I think you absolutely got the, amazing. You got the full description, I think. Yeah, there's there's um mine mine is a couple of years old now. Um, but I I invested hardcore in my saber. I, I got the the RGB saber so it cycles through all of the colors. I can pick any color on my saber um, and, you know, it does the noise and it does, it, it, it lights up, but 
I totally have Saber Envy now because this year they released new tech in their Sabres. And Vader's Vault now has the sequential the sequential LEDs in the blade, which allow it to light up from the hilt to the tip. And then when you power it down, it powers down from the tip to the hilt. So it looks like it extends and then it looks like it retracts. Yeah, whereas um, normally it was just a very bright LED thing in the hilt. And it had like a frosted inside in the of the blade and so the, that the, the light would just go up to the frosted up. stuff. So for the most part, it was even lighting, even on right. and it uses, on, really on most of them, it was even lighting. But you could still tell it was just kind of turning on. Now that now it looks like it moves up and down, and the, some of those other features were so cool. They've they've improved the technology because these are all combat sabers. You can you can combat with these. You can fight with these. You can bang them against other sabers and whatnot, and they'll hold up. He's he said they're still they're still running tests on them just to make sure that they're durable enough to do it. But they've gotten some of them out to like the local dueling guilds and whatnot, and they've been out about what did he say like four months somewhere around there. Yeah, that yeah they, they've had them for several months now, and they're still holding up. So they haven't had any issues with them. So I mean, four months of continuous beating is is you know decent in my said. book. I mean, but you know when you pay that, yeah, that's right. Um, but if it if something goes wrong, I think it wasn't near as expensive to replace the blade because if something goes wrong, it's in the blade. So, but I, I do did did he say that they have any kind of warranty on? I, I didn't really get much of that. I was, not, I was more interested in the creation of them. Okay, uh, just you know how. Right, because there's a lot of interaction packed into this little tiny handle, and it's got the lighting. It's got different. I mean, you could program it to crackle. It, it, it's got three three new features, where it's got the unstable mm. blade like Kylo Ren. It's got a flame blade where you you ignite it, and it and it's like um, it's almost like flame traveling yeah, up like the length of the blade. Almost. You know, it, the, yeah. the blade kind of waves. It kind of waves up to the tip, and then they've also got a uh, rain sizzle, which is you turn the blade, you turn the blade on, and it sounds and looks like rain is hitting the blade mm-hmm. and sizzling off of the off of the plasma from the from the lightsaber, which is all three of them are really cool effects. And if you get that upgraded package, I believe the, the that package upgrade is like mm-hmm. one hundred and sixty five bucks. It comes with all three features, and it comes with yeah. all the colors. And- I believe. And they also they also changed the way that you select the color on the blade. On mine, it's a little cumbersome. I have to push a button and cycle through all the colors. On this one, they've changed it because they've got like 16 mm-hmm. colors now or something. Basically, you activate the color selection mode, and then you just tilt the saber on an angle. And the saber registers that the angle change of the hilt changes the, the color. And then when you get when you get the angle and the color that you want... You just select. You just hit the selector button again and lock in the color, and then that. Yeah, the, the one thing I was amazed about Which is just is how a, vibrant the color was. Like, and oh yeah. Absolutely. What was interesting was as I was, um, as I was, uh, I went. I mentioned it a couple times, but I went to the the Galactic Knights thing, and I parked next to people that were dressed as um, mm-hmm. a Pikachu and a Raichu ninja or ninja Jedi rather, and they had they had uh-huh. uh, Ultra Sabers. And again, not bashing them. I have an Ultra Saber. I like it. Um, but they, it was still daytime and they turn, they're like, Oh, it matches our suits. And they turned on their sabers and they were supposed to be yellow lightsabers. And you actually could not see that the light was on other than right at the base. And 
I think that I've seen your saber outside and you can see it even in bright light. You can, but it does, even with the bright ones, I I have to be honest, it does, it is still difficult to see at times depending upon how bright it is. Um, but, but still, I mean, without question, I mean, if you had it to do, yes, absolutely. If, oh, and the other awesome thing is, is you can change the speed at which the, if you want it to go slow, you can change the speed so that the, um, the lightsaber ignites in a slow fashion, you know, like, uh, Darth Vader in the hallway on Rogue One, where it goes, and it just extends real slow. You can change the speed so it does that, or you can change the speed so that it goes fast or whatever, however it is you want. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of customization that you can So, do. um, the owner of, and his name written down on a piece of paper that I've turned. There you go. Uh, the owner of Vader's Vault, or the founder, is a guy named Alan Johnson. And he was nice enough to talk to me a little bit about, you know, what does it take to become a lightsaber creator again? Did a very short interview with him because there was a small group of people gathering. And I didn't want to take, you know, him away from, from customers. Um, but Too much of very interesting guy. conversation and, and you know, very open. And, you know, definitely check out Vader's Vault's website. You can search for it. And he has videos of all the stuff we're talking about. So, you know, this is not a paid thing or anything. This is just someone we're a fan of and we want them to get business because we think it's really cool. So here's Alan Johnson talking about Vader's Vault and lightsaber creation. I'm standing here with Alan from Vader's Vault, which is the premier saber company. And uh, he is one of he's the owner and the designer of the sabers. So uh, how does one get into designing lightsabers? Well, um, it pretty much started when I was three, and I was taken to Return of the Jedi uh, by my parents, uh, and I have been drawing lightsabers on every scrap of paper since I was that age in school. I'm sure my teachers hated it, Um, but then uh, I just got the chance. I I had started building them as a hobby, and uh, I broke my knee, so I needed something to do while I was on crutches for seven months, and what was a hobby turned into a vocation, so... Funny that you mentioned uh, Return of the Jedi. I think that was the first one I saw in the theater. My first movie experience that I recall as a child was that. I was a little older than that. I, I think I was six, and it was the first movie I ever saw with just my friends. Because remember, my mom was at a swap meet in the parking lot of that theater, and I was so bored. I'm like, can I just go into the theater? Yeah. <laughs> and it was you know the early '80s, so it was a little safer. So how does how does one like I guess design a lightsaber? Do you start on paper? Uh, usually, yeah, I will start. I have a sketchbook or two that I keep with me at all times. Uh, if I don't have that, I have my, a drawing app on my phone. If I get an idea, I sketch it out real quick uh, and I flesh it out fully, and then we'll take it to SolidWorks when we get back to the shop. Okay. And then uh, we'll fully engineer it from there and make it into a functional piece. And then we'll keep it on file, and if it's something that we want to pursue, we throw it on the machines and we, we get them out. How does the, the electronics work? Do you, do you have an on-staff like electrical engineer? Yes. Or? Uh, well, we have uh, our electrical engineer is our best friend. He is actually in France. Okay. And he works for an institute there and is pretty much the, one of the premier engineers in the world for applying uh, motion recognition to audio. So okay. it was a perfect transition to go from there to lightsabers, which require motion recognition. That's so it's still on. Did it really stop? Oh no, it didn't. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so, but in house, uh, other than the the actual engineering of the soundboard, uh, everything is made in house. So we reflow our own LEDs for the LED strip blades. We make all of those blades in house. Uh, we have, you know, our electronics crew on staff is is capable of doing almost anything so uh yeah we we do as much as we can in-house in our shop in atlanta okay 
Yeah, the reason I asked, you guys can't see this right now, but we will, uh, on the on the web, on the Facebook page, we will attach to their site. Um, it's the beautiful, bright uh, blades. The, they extend naturally. They have all sorts of different cool programming, which we just got an example of, and it's it, they're awesome. You said there's a teaser on your site of that, right? Yes, we do have several videos on the site that, that showcase the, the newer technology, which is the Flector Pixel technology. That's so cool. Yeah, these are... I've, I've seen quite a few different blade companies, and I'm not kidding when I say the Vader's Vault are easily the most beautiful ones. And the other selling point, which may or may not be by design, is that the handles are a lot more narrow. Yeah, well, we design everything to be a weapon first. Uh, so everything we do is combat ready, but you don't want to feel like you're grabbing the fat end of a baseball bat. So you want it to feel like a real sword would. So all of our hilts are very slim, slender, they're balanced, so we, we design everything with a certain weight ratio to where when you put a blade in it, the balance is pretty much right at the emitter. Uh, so everything we do is very thought out that way. It's, it's calculated. So we want it to feel comfortable in the hand, like natural. Nice. Well, I thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, guys, check out Vader's Vault if you're looking for a, a lightsaber for fun or for, for saber battles. What's the, the people that do the, the, the saber... The Saber Legion uh, is the premier combat group. Uh, Saber Combat, that's what yeah, I was, yep. the word I was looking for. And uh, then we have the Saber Guild, which is the five, uh, Lucasfilm-affiliated charity group, which they do choreographed performances. Okay. And it's no less rigorous, no less hard-hitting, but their, their stuff is more staged and choreographed, whereas Saber Legion is you get dressed in armor and you go beat the hell out of people, so it's nice. great. Nice. Hey, well, thank you again. One of those Sabers. I, I mean, I and I... I, I think I'm going to end up buying another and lightsaber. And if my wife now is they, listening to this, I would never buy another lightsaber. Ever. It would never, never. happen. Uh, now, if the now, lightsaber fairy now, wants to come honestly, down and bequeath one upon me, I would accept it. If you had it to do over again, Greg, where would you buy from? Um, I like the one I have except for one thing. It Because mm-hmm. they're the one I have, it's it's like a Kylo Ren-esque one. It's very customizable. Um, it has... A couple little sharp like points up at the top of the hilt. Mm-hmm. So if I use it mm-hmm. ever, it slices the crap out of my hand, like within seconds. And I have and I right. haven't like gotten used a grinder. So I do like it, um, but I the only thing is it's a little like I wouldn't be able to bring it around places because of that slicing thing. It's and it's a little heavy. Right. So for right. the way it looks sitting in in the studio right now, I'm cool with it. Eventually, when I finally get the time to put it up on the wall and kind of use it as a a light saber light, I'm good. Because <laughs> um, gotcha. mine was also ch- um, cheaper than the Vader's Vault one. So yeah, well, and and that's the thing the the Vader's Vault ones are are a little pricey. I mean, you're looking at several hundred dollars. So keep that in mind. But if you want one with sound, you're also going to pay a couple of hundred dollars from from Ultra Sabers yeah, as well. Yeah. So um, I guess moving on to some of the other things we saw. I mean, we've talked about you know, fudge. We've talked about artists. We've talked about, oh. <laughs> about lightsabers. Um, yeah, and of course about some of the props. Some of the the other things that were really cool there. Um, I guess we should. Pr- I should probably first of all give a shout out and a thank you uh, to Kaylee Kills, who yes, Kaylee, yeah, who runs. I guess, it's two companies. That she runs one of them is uh, Alter Egos. That's A L T A R egos and those are uh they're prayer candles with uh, all sorts of pop culture ca- you know people in them so you got your nick cage prayer candle you've got your golden girls you've got various superheroes Stanley, Stanley. all those things they're very fun they're very they're very cool um 
And then she also does um, vinyl decals, uh, enamel pins. Um, I'm going to I'm giving her a shout out. Um, and that that's uh, what fandom only is the name of fandom lead fandom lead yeah, designs, designs I believe it is. And uh, she was very nice to let us be that she was my drop off point for any of the stuff that I that I got. And I brought I brought some very big didn't want to carry around. Yeah, I brought I brought from home some very large coffee table books about concept art for John Jang to sign, which he was very cool about signing it. But I, there were also probably about fifteen to twenty pounds of books that I didn't really want to carry the entire show. So she let me stick my stuff there. Right. Um, I got a few other things. So, um, you know, also very cool person, very cool stuff, very cool stuff. She, I believe, she does. She has a bunch of online things as well. So. Definitely look for for Kaylee mm-hmm. Kills, um, and and happy birthday, by the way. Fan- ah, yes, happy birthday, Fandomly yeah. Designs. And of course, there was there were some uh, some pseudos. Well, yeah, there are celebrities, very cool people there as well that that you know chatted with us. They didn't, we didn't do interviews with them because they were busy, but um, the trackers. And if you are Disney fans, um, I believe you want to check out Tim Tracker and Jen Tracker's channel where they go to all the Disney parks and theme parks and do a lot of cool stuff. Very cool people. Yeah. Um, Daily blogs, yeah, daily, just daily blogs. stuff, and um, and of course, uh, Jen, not Jen Tracker, but yeah. Jen or Jen Earsome, correct? So you can you know way more about that yes. than I do. So, uh, well, yeah, Jen, Jen was there with me. Um, she she did some streaming for streaming the magic there. Um, she also helped out Kaylee at her booth uh, a good bit. But um, Jen is also a a vlogger. She streams, like I said, for streaming the magic. She does a lot of theme park stuff. Um, she she also has recently started a Facebook page for um, keto. She's got a lot of viewers who have been interested in keto after they've seen the results that she and I have gotten. Um, but super energetic, really sweet, very friendly. Um, hit her up. And it's watch, Jen, her, G, uh, watch her vlogs G, on YouTube. G E N Genevieve. Yes. So, Correct. Yeah. Thank. Thank you. For and and as well. check out and you can check her out at uh, Earsome Emporium yeah. as well. She's got an Etsy shop, Earsome Emporium. Yeah. So there, you know, just a few other things. There, um, I did see a lot more three D printing this year. Which I thought was very a lot of three D printing. Um. So there's a lot more of that. Um. I of course, which I think we've talked a little bit about on the show, but I got my three D printer and I've just finished Rob's uh, first commission for me. So he's now got his very own gas yes. gun for for his Darkwing Duck costume. Darkwing Duck, which was my day three yeah. costume. So that's that's squared away. I am currently in the process of printing a Han Solo pistol or blaster for myself. Yes. Um, so actually, it's printing like literally right now in the same room as me. So if you want, if you want to know how how quiet the Prusa Mark III is, it's printing right now, uh, literally four feet away from the microphone. And um, you know, there was a. There was actually a lot of Dungeons and Dragons type things and dice and gaming things, and one of the the companies uh, I forget the the actual dice company, but they maybe it's called Creature Curation or something similar. Um, but Creature Curation has had these really cool like busts and taxidermy creatures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was one of those times that you got held up by four thousand people wanting to take pictures of you. So I saw these things off in the yeah. distance, and they were they were so well made that they looked almost realistic. And they were some of them were horrific in a good way. Some of them were cute. Some of them were uh, some of them were reminiscent almost of some of the creatures from uh, Dark Crystal. Um, so I went over there and, and mm-hmm. I was admiring them, and someone came over and said, "You know, what do you think of these?" 
And uh, his name was uh, Brian Cullen. And he had the opportunity to talk about his land that he created. And it's an area called, uh, it's a world called Revilo. And he talked about it and just how it came about and where these creatures came from. And it was something I kind of understood because he was talking about how he decided to make this world because he had a child on the way and he wanted to to create something new while the, you know, with his child eventually. And so he talked briefly with me and uh, here's a little bit of that interview. I'm here with Brian Colin uh, from Creature Curation. He's got some really awesome creatures from uh, the world of Revelo. How did you uh, get started creating creatures? Well, I started out customizing toys quite a long time ago. And as my custom toys started to look more and more realistic, I realized that they needed to become bigger so that they would really feel lifelike. And right around 2008, right before my son was born, I decided I wanted to create a world that we could collaborate on together. So at that point, all of my creatures started coming from Revlo, which is his middle name, Oliver, backwards. Ah, okay. Now I get that. I can see that now. Um, so you're telling me about a Kickstarter that you did for a book. So let's, uh, I guess, tell people a little bit about that. Sure. I uh, kickstarted a 144-page hardcover uh, bestiary-style book. It's called Revelo Creature Collection Volume 1. It's published by Norse Foundry, who makes a lot of metal dice and, and coins for the gaming industry. It's filled with 36 creatures, five magic items, a pantheon of gods, and the history of my world, filled with photographs, illustrations, and more. So as you guys can't see this, but I am standing in front of a wall of really awesomely designed creatures that are that are almost lifelike, and they all have and uh, they all have different you know, elements to them, and they all have a story behind them, or well, technically underneath them, but they have a story about you know, where they come from and all that. Um, wh- how do you start designing the creatures? Like, what, where do they come from? From like anatomy books or animal books or stuff like that? Or a lot of times, I'll just start drawing circles and see where it takes me. But then other times, I'll look at the regions in my world and see. I've got five creatures from this area and only two from this region, so I know I need to create something that lives in the sea, and I'll start working with themes like that. And once I'm happy with the concept sketch, then I'll take it to the sculpting phase. Nice. Okay, so I was talking, I did tell um, Brian about the uh, the theme of the podcast that we do, the Give Me Five Questions, so I'm going to put him on the spot, because that's what you do to, an, uh, to a stranger that's being nice and, you know, doing an interview with you. Um, I'm going to say, what, what are your five favorite creature designs from any other media, other, other than your own? Okay, so other than my own, probably one of them would have to be Bosk from Star Wars, because that's one of my favorite characters growing up. I love the lizard man-like feel of that. Um, I also loved the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, there's So that's two. Uh, three, there's, I've always loved gargoyles. I think there was a made-for-TV movie and maybe in the like 70s or 80s that must must have been on in the background when my my dad was watching it and i saw that and i've always had a strange love of of gargoyles because of it um i've always loved mind flayers because they're kind of cthulhu-esque with the like cellophoid uh tentacles coming off their face that is four and the fifth one would have to be the classic rust monster from dungeons and dragons because it was a little plastic toy that came with a series of dinosaur toys that didn't seem to make any sense, but I loved playing with it as a kid. Awesome. Bosk is up there for me, too, especially because of the uh, the uh, uniform. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. I love the 12-inch Bosk that I had yes. that had all the pieces. Yeah. Okay, so uh, where can our listeners find your stuff? You can find it at CreatureCuration.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So very cool stuff. Um, I think you can find his stuff on, cre- I think he said it, CreatureCuration.com. Um, 
and you get a chance to see, you know, learn more about the world of Revilo and some of the creatures and stuff like that. And there's just awesome backstories on these things. And there's a lot of thought that went into them. And if you get a chance to. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't get to be there for that interview that cause that's yeah. His booth yeah, was and had like, you know, little things like the, the one that caught me was, um, was I believe called a Snickwa, which was a kind of, um, I, I believe if I remember correctly, that was the one that was, was kind of snake like, but you just saw its head and it almost has like a duck billed dinosaur head with like a, almost a shark fin or a extrusion on the top of it. Just really cool. Check it, check it out. Um, it's just good fantasy art, you know, bright colors and you know, maybe avatar esque, maybe dungeons and dragons esque, that kind of stuff. Um, and again, he also, uh, Oh, you, because you haven't really heard some of the interviews yet. Um, he, he also did a give me five and, his he did his five favorite fantasy creatures. So Rob, Rob oh fantastic! Right on the spot. Let's see five favorite fantasy creatures. Oh my god! Go ahead. Um, like are are we talking in in movies or just in I, the whole genre? We of did fantasy? everything. Oh my god! Okay, uh, dragon. Okay. Um, would this be a dead zombie dragon? No, <laughs> no. I just I just predict gotcha. those. Um. Man. This one's tough. Like, I don't think I'd be able to do it. Like there'd be a pork, there'd be a pork in there. Like on the spot. Um, what was your favorite Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, it, like back in the day. Uh, I don't know that I had one. I mean, I unicorn might be in there. Um, the the list, if I had time to think about it, might be different. But I can give you. I mean, I can give you a five <laughs> if you want. Uh, dragon, unicorn, um, the Balrog, like oh, from yeah. uh, That's a good Lord one. of the Rings. Absolutely awesome. Shirtless centaur, um, right? No. Um, but I, you know what? I'm going to throw one out from a movie that we watched recently because I thought it was an absolutely amazing creature design. And that was the, night the Ritual. <laughs> the Ritual. Okay. Do you remember the, the creature from The Ritual? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, Yeah, with the, all the like bodies on it and... The, the Norse creature from yeah, the ritual, it was, it was like a half, half horse and then like a shaded head with hands mm-hmm. and stuff. It was absolutely amazing. It was really yeah, and, cool. Um, again, you, uh, you haven't heard the interview because we're, I'm putting those in later, but, mm-hmm. uh, he, he did mention the rust monster from Dungeons and Dragons, which I, I didn't actually remember it, but I went back and looked it up today and he said this, he yeah, said something very interesting about how he had a little bag of dinosaurs that it came with. And I looked that up. I've got the lovely bag of dinosaurs. Deedly deedly. What's interesting? <laughs> if sorry. you look it up, if you look at Rust Monster toy, I thought this was really interesting because there's a series of toys. Like they didn't really make Dungeons and Dragons toys back in the in the eighties and maybe maybe 70s, I'm not sure. But what I found very interesting was there was this bag of dinosaurs called uh, prehistoric animals. It was just little plastic toys. And three of the critters that came in it were complete ripoffs from the Dungeons and Dragons guidebook, which is it's just kind of a weird, interesting history that he mentioned it and it kind of changed his life. And it was something that was kind of stolen. And some of them were like, you know, it's when you see those little plastic animals, you're like, Oh, this kind of looks like a, tri- a pterodactyl, but the head is wrong. You know, that kind of thing. But three of the creatures in there were actually, um, you know, 100% like ripoffs out of Dungeons and Dragons. You can find stories of it online, but I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing that, he got into creature creation in part because of this one little toy that he had that probably wasn't supposed to be there to begin with. 
just kind of a neat little nice. story and just interesting. And um, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a it's not what I expected it to look like actually, but it's just kind of a cool story. Fantastic. And my fifth one would probably be the fantasy version of the angel. Uh, like the the armor and sword and all that kind of. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, I think that kind of takes us to the end. Those all the interviews and uh, you know some of the major points of MegaCon. Um, obviously, we're going to go next year. It's kind of a thing. But did you did you hear that it's actually not on Memorial Day weekend next year? I did not. It is not on Memorial Day weekend, which actually was kind of nice, being that you had the following Monday off. However, to recover. <laughs> yeah. When is it going to be? Did they say? Um, it's earlier in the month. I want to say it's like the sixteenth. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, Sunday, April seventh. No, that's not right. That's no. That's definitely not it. That was a biology convention that is listed under Megacon in on the Orange County Convention Center website. Whoops. Um, yeah. That is the Experimental Biology Convention. So if you want to go to the Experimental Biology Convention from Sunday, April 7th to Wednesday, April 10th, um, you can possibly do that. Oh, speaking of experimental biology, we did forget one of the major guests. Um, fr- from The Fly and Jurassic Park, the king of experimental biology. Nice tie-in. Nice tie-in. Good save. Who um, was awesome and apparently as awkward and weird and ethereal as people want him to be from from a few of the pictures I saw. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. So, yeah, he he did photo shoots and stuff like that. He apparently was very cool. So, um, so neat. Well, um, that was our special episode about Megacon, and I hope you uh, enjoyed it. And see, so much to do. We. Obviously, we were, we are not able to cover everything at MegaCon in this one little in in this one little uh, episode. But yeah, we didn't talk about. I, obviously, we I, didn't talk about the the dating things they do. We didn't talk about the because we didn't do it. Um, thing that they have. Didn't get a chance to do the panels. I didn't get like you know. There's a lot of stuff to do, and if you don't go all four days, you're not going to see everything. Uh, we're going to mm-hmm. post a bunch of pictures. We have been posting a bunch of pictures on our Instagram, on our Facebook page of various costumes. You know, if you have cosplay stuff, um, you know, let us know. Maybe we'll get some of the professionals on there. They seem to be more than happy to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Want to show off your stuff, post it on our site. We don't, we don't mind. Tag us in things. Thanks, guys. And together we are the Wonder Twin. Oh no, wait, no, no. Jimmy is an ice dildo. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm offended. I said that. <laughs>